Good morning. Welcome to this first Sunday in Lent worship. Our gospel today is from the fourth chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing there during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I give it, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and led him to stand on a high point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to uh, pray with me the Holy Spirit prayer as we gather together now for some time of meditation on this passage today. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. I think this is fair to say, not only for me, but probably for every pastor. One of our biggest challenges that I feel that I face on a weekly basis is how does what I, what comes out of my mouth, how does what comes out of my mouth on any given Sunday seem or come across as relevant? Again, not only speaking for myself, but I think speaking on behalf of a lot of pastors, I think that we feel an obligation to be relevant and to be contextual. We feel an obligation or a sense of responsibility to speak what is current and how the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to navigate and journey through this life. And this life is, more often than not, filled with illness and suffering and brokenness and uncertainty. Now, don't get me wrong. Life isn't all illness, suffering, brokenness, and uncertainty because there are certainly those blessed things of life too, such as laughter and happiness and being together with one another, having good health and wellness, and perhaps even being blessed with a certain level of wealth. There's so many other things about this world that are so, so beautiful. For some strange reason, I was thinking about the pets that Kim and I have had over the years, especially our dogs. I don't know how many of you have a dog as a pet, but I think that dogs teach us something about God's graciousness and God's love. Because all the dogs that I and Kim ever had, they seem to love us no matter what, you know. And I, I, maybe we can learn something from our dogs, you know, about what it means to be human in this world. So there are all these beautiful things about life as well. Laughter, happiness, health, wellness. But I also need to remind you that these things are also temporal. 
and that we should not get caught up in the illusion that all of these happy and positive things are always a constant in our lives. Just a few short days back, this past Wednesday, many of us gathered here in this sanctuary. We once again started our 40-day journey with Jesus to Jerusalem, where Jesus again, he will be a, we will hear the story of how Jesus was arrested and mocked and ridiculed. He was tortured and whipped before he was nailed to a blood-stained cross and left to die. That is the journey that you and I have entered into now. Ash Wednesday, it was a day that we made confession in a corporate confession way. And as I knelt here during that time of corporate confession, some of those confessions that came out hit pretty close to home for me. I don't know what it was like for you, but some of those really hit me hard. It was a day to be reminded again that our God-created earthly vessel that you and I embody will someday die and that we will again become dust. And that means that we, can, that means that we came face-to-face on Wednesday with our vulnerability, our weakness, and most importantly, we came face-to-face with our need for and our dependence upon God. I think it seems very appropriate that we should have this passage before us today as we enter into this 40-day journey. One of the men in our men's fellowship group made the observation that this must have been something that Jesus had reported and had talked with his disciples about because we know, obviously, that it was just Jesus and the devil out in the desert. So how could this story even be passed on? if it were not for the fact that Jesus must have actually taken the time and told his disciples about this actually happening. And of course, like most gospel passages, for me, for, for most scripture, this is another one of those passages where I am longing for more. I want to have a fuller explanation from Jesus as to why he chose to stay in the desert for 40 days. Why did he do that? This passage says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and that it was the Spirit that led him into the desert. And the interesting thing is is that Jesus chose to stay. He could have left any time. But he chose to stay. It's one of those passages where I wish I knew more. One of my source materials this week that I was reading made a comment, said that Jesus chose to stay until the work of the wilderness was done. I suppose there's some truth to that, isn't there? You know, I I, uh, attempted to go on a silent retreat once in my life. Once. I'm 65 years old. I attempted to go on a silent retreat once in my life. It was a small retreat center in the middle of Minnesota. And when you go there, you make the commitment to be silent. You make the commitment to just simply be. Have you ever tried not speaking and being silent for 48 hours? <laughs> yeah. I think we have a hard enough time simply being silent for a few moments of reflection prior to our meditation. It's 
silence is deafening. It's almost scary, isn't it? I tried going on a silent retreat once for 48 hours. Although, you know, I did have access to the comforts of a room, and I had books, and I had food, and I had the entire campus to roam and wander. And from what I recall about that retreat, it was not a very comfortable process for me. Did I experience lack of control? (laughs) Yes. Did I feel vulnerable? Did I get in touch, perhaps, with some of my insecurities and my faults? I think I did, yeah. Was it a Jesus time for me? Was it a time of discernment and clarity? Was I renewed? Was I refreshed? From what I recall about that one-time silent retreat, it, 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 it was a good retreat, and it was, in hindsight, a time of renewal and refreshment, even if it was only for that brief period of time of 48 hours. Silence is one of those things that you and I probably don't deal very well with, something that we're very uncomfortable about. And I think with Jesus being out in the desert, there must have been a significant amount of time of silence. I read an article this week written by a man who lost his 40-year-old son this past year of an aggressive form of leukemia. Part of the reason why he wrote the article is because he had not yet dealt with the loss and the grief of his son. And he talked about his faith and his spiritual life was an absolute mess. So one of the things that he chose to do was he chose to go into the desert. He chose to go into the desert for five days in the state of New Mexico. He went there for a time of discernment, for a time of grief and healing, and yes, an opportunity to perhaps really say goodbye to his son that he had not yet done. His entire time was spent out in the elements with just simple necessities, a sleeping bag and some water and some food. And during his time in the desert, he struggled with his understanding of the two images of God who had come, he had come to know in his life. And I want to read to you some of the things that he reflects upon. He says, I was distressed. I was distressed by an apocalyptic God from my youth. A God I thought I'd left behind who arbitrarily assigns death to whomever he chooses. An omnipotent deity pulling strings by the naked power of his will. And he went on and he wrote, Questioning my faith altogether, I wrestled with a divine being who didn't seem to give a darn. That's not the word he used. I wrestled with a divine being who didn't seem to give a darn, all the while longing for one who could hold me tightly to her chest. Yeah, that's probably a little bit hard for some of you to hear, the female image of God, but that's what works for him. All the while longing for one who could hold me tightly to her chest, choking back her tears. It was no doubt 
a mystical experience for this man. A time of visioning, a time of grieving, a time of letting go, of coming to have a sense of experiencing his son again. He writes of his experience on his final night there. He said, I noticed, maybe some of you know this place in New Mexico. He said, I noticed Orphan Mesa coming to life again. This time it was the moon rising over the canyon behind me, casting a soft slate-gray light on the mesa's rim. It was cold and death-like, but beautiful. The paleness of my son's body drained on its recent glow of life. He saw the grayness and the death of his son in that image. And it came once more to reassure him that as Julian of Norwich writes, all manners of things will be well, even in death. Those are resurrection words for us today. That all manner of things will be well, even in death. In his time of discernment and grief in the desert, he reflected back also on his childhood days, and he wrote, I'd been gripped by the unexpected vulnerability of a God I might be able to love, a power hidden in weakness. Jesus had renounced absolute power, standing instead with the wounded ones working from below, weeping and weaving, nudging the world into a greater unity and diversity. And sitting on that canyon rim, I knew it was time to choose the God that I first learned to love and discard the one that I had long outgrown but who still had a strong grip on me. As I struggle this week, as I struggle this week, as I would hope that perhaps you have as well, As I struggle this week to come to grips with the reality of what's happening right now in Eastern Europe, where, as I heard on the news this morning, over 1.5 million people are fleeing the violence and the bombardments. Women and children are leaving their husbands behind to defend their homeland, living with the uncertainty of not knowing whether they will ever see one another again. This phrase, Jesus renounced absolute power, standing instead with the wounded ones, working from below, weeping, weaving, and nudging the world into a greater unity and diversity. It it begs me to, it makes me, and I hope that it makes us want to ask, what can we be doing from afar to be standing with the wounded ones and participate in this greater unity and diversity that this moment in history calls for right now. My spirit takes solace in knowing that Jesus is present, that Jesus is present through the people who are extending compassion and help to those who are wounded and weeping, that Jesus is present to those 
who are vulnerable and constantly being reminded that life is finite. In many respects, the entire world has been turned upside down over these last 10 or 11 days. And we are in the midst of a wilderness where pain, loss, danger, terror is our reality. And this is a time for solidarity. It is is a time for accompaniment. It's a time to be diligent in praying for a swift resolution to this conflict. One of my pastoral colleagues from Phoenix, her name is Sarah Statler. Don't know if any of you but knows her. She's the pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Phoenix. One of my pastoral colleagues introduced me to a song by a group by the name of Gunger. The person's name is Michael Gunger, but at some point they decided to name the group Gunger. And one of the songs that they sing is a song called Beautiful Things. And the chorus reads, You make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of us. A little later in the song they sing, All around hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. (coughs) My pastoral colleague wrote this to her congregation. She said, Dear friends in Christ, horrific things happen every day, and by the grace of God, so do beautiful things. Consider not just the unprovoked aggression of Putin, but the outpouring of love for the people of Ukraine today. Hope is springing up from this old ground. And out of chaos, life is being found. Jesus was led, into, led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. He experienced and he chose emptiness. He chose vulnerability and he chose humility. And he came out of the desert to fulfill the work that was before him. He chose to renounce absolute power, standing instead with the wounded ones, working from below. Weeping and weaving and nudging the world into a greater unity and diversity. I conclude with these words from one of my favorite writers. You know her well, Deb Thomas. I quote her often. What does this mean for us as we begin our Lenten journey this year? It means it's a time to follow Jesus into the desert. It's a time to decide who we are. And whose we are, it's a time to embrace all that it means to be human. Human and hungry, human and vulnerable, human and beloved. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.